Your life can be full of inspiration and magic, and you don't need glass slippers to get there. Welcome to the podcast for real life heroines with author, speaker, and coach, Susanna Liller. Join us as we work with key elements of personal development to assist you in hearing the calls that life has for you. Be inspired, be empowered, and be encouraged. Let's start today's episode with your host, Susanna Liller. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast for Real Life Heroines, where I get to interview real life heroines like Phyllis Blackstone. And sometimes I get to interview real life heroes. But today we're all about a heroine. And what I most like about these interviews is I get to understand what was it that got them to answer a call to leave their ordinary life wherever they were and go out on a journey and become the heroine that they always have been inside of them. But the journey brings it out in you and, and gets you to live a life bigger than you normally would have if you had stayed in your comfort zone. So Phyllis, welcome. Thank you. And let me just say that I know that you are Dr. Phyllis Blackstone, and you have been a teacher for all of your professional life of elementary students, and we're going to hear about how they helped in your storytelling journey, and then adults as you taught them in adult education, and what your retirement has brought you is this career as an extraordinary storyteller. And we'll have more details. We'll have your website and everything in the notes. And we'll just refer to that at the end of the program. But I just want to welcome you. And I'm so pleased we were able to make this happen. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure to be with you, Suzanne. Phyllis, I, as I was planning how we would unfold our conversation this morning, I had to keep fighting the urge to just say, Phyllis, just tell us a story. Tell us another story. Let's just, because I know your stories. And also at the end, we are going to talk about your book where you, it was hard for you, I know, to be such a oral person and have to write them down, but I'm so glad you did. And we'll talk about that. But I do want you to start with a story. And I know you have a story that frequently you use as your introductory story when you go out on the road, whether you're in your special trailer that you take all around the country, or if you're standing in front of an audience or on Zoom, you do all those, I know. But what's that story? Could you share it with us? Something about a naked man, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I am always, always ready to tell a story. And I delight in telling this particular story. It is a very, very old and ancient folktale. It has been sung. It has been put into poetry. It has been told 
by storytellers from generation to generation to generation. And I always like to put this story out on the airwaves too. Well, you know, it was in the beginning of time and there was truth. Now, truth was personified as a very tall, handsome, naked man. Uh. And truth traveled from village to village to village. His mission in life was to tell the truth. He would go to the villages and he would say, I am truth, come, come, sit, listen to the truth. I will tell you truth. And of course, people came to listen to the truth because for all of time, all human beings have wanted to know the truth. So they would come, the mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers, and they would bring the children and whole clans would come to listen to, to truth. But, oh dear, when they got there, they looked upon this naked man and they felt most uncomfortable and they went away and the mothers shielded their children because they did not want their children to look upon this naked man. Mm. Well, truth was very discouraged. His mission was to give the truth and people would not listen to him. What would he do? He went to visit his sister. Perhaps she could help. As he visited with her, her name was Story. Mm -hmm. And she listened. And then she had a most clever idea. Now Story had traveled all over the world and she went into her closets and she gathered her boxes and trunks and she took out clothes from all over the world. Clothes made of the very nicest fabrics. Oh, she found a pair of velvet pantaloons for him. She found a silk shirt. She found a scarf to put around his neck. She found a brocaded vest. She even slipped some jewelry around his neck and placed oh, a silk hat on his head. And she said, now you must go and tell your truth. Oh, he looked at himself. Oh, sister, this will never work. I look, I look, well, I, I look just preposterous in this outfit. But she begged and pleaded with him and he left and went to tell the truth. And when he got 
to the villagers, even though he felt silly in this costume, he called out, I am truth, come and listen to the truth. Well, all the people came, all the families, all the clans, and oh, they sat down and they listened and listened and listened. Oh, they didn't want him to leave. And he had to say, I, I must go to the next village. Well, all that week, he was most busy telling the truth to all the people. A week later, he went back to see his sister. And he told his sister's story about the success he had that week. And he was overjoyed with all of his work. She smiled. <laughs> I knew that would happen, brother. I knew it would happen because you see, it is this way. No one, no one really wants to listen to naked truth. But everyone will listen when it's dressed up as a story. Thank you. I love it. I love it. And I think when you talked to me about it initially, I didn't realize it was an old, old story. Of course, it would make sense. And I would assume that all storytellers know that dressing things up as a story, even in business now, we know that telling things in story narrative format makes a big difference. People will remember it. Yes. But here's also what I'd like you to talk about is that I know you have a particular philosophy for your storytelling. And this has, has addressed you as a storyteller because we talked about how anybody can tell a story, anybody can relate this is what happened to me and go through the events and that's storytelling, right? But you have a different philosophy about what you do. And I wonder if you could share that with us, Phyllis. Okay, first, um, let me say that as an educator and as a, a professor of education, I, I stepped into the waters of brain research, which I found to be very, very fascinating. And what I learned is that the human brain really is wired for narrative in a sense. And uh, think about it when when you as a parent brought home your, your first child and you changed that baby's diapers at the, at the changing table, perhaps you grabbed onto a, a big toe and started by saying, this little piggy went to market, this little piggy stayed home. And by the fifth little piggy, you had a story, a story about five little piggies. And so children get exposed to stories very, very early in their lives. They react to stories. 
we teach them how to read by giving them stories. So the brain naturally loves to learn through storytelling. Right. So I discovered very early in my teaching career that stories could be a way to learn. So storytelling became my preferred teaching tool. And then when I became an, administ an administrator and then a professor and I was in charge of teacher training and I had undergraduate students and graduate students, I discovered that storytelling was a preferred learning tool for them as well. Now, after all of these many years, after 40 plus years in education and now in my retirement, this is what I think. I think the whole world is about storytelling yeah. and every everything relates to storytelling after all if you paint a picture you're really telling a story if you write a song you're telling a story every art form is just another way to tell a story hmm. Hmm. now i think uh, interrupt me, Susanna, at any time. But I, I, I'm that's just a real, going to... that's a real storyteller who will invite you to interrupt them. <laughs> you're gonna, I hope yes. you're going to tell us because there are those points that you make about having your story as a gift that you don't just, which I do, I'm afraid, too often ad lib your story. As a storyteller, you have a certain amount of preparation that you talk about. That's right, exactly. Um, Susanna, when you and I uh, go to a coffee shop and we order coffee and always a bite or two or three or four of chocolate, mm -hmm. We share many stories. You tell me things that are happening in your life. I tell you things about my life. And we are sharing anecdotes, aren't we? We are. And eating, we are. drinking. They are. they are stories, that's true. But the more precise term for them would be anecdotes. Hmm. When I think about storytelling as a performance, I think of creating a gift. A story is a gift. I like to tell stories of wisdom and truth. So I prepare a story as a gift. And I thoughtfully, mindfully, craft the story. I try to put out a beginning line or phrase that will reel the listener in right away. Mm -hmm. 
I try to develop the characters and develop the plot <clears throat> in an interesting way so that your attention is continuous. And along the, the way, I pique your interest. I carefully, carefully review how I have crafted the story and I eliminate the, uh, the things that I put in that aren't really that necessary and perhaps distract your attention. And so I create a, a resolution and an ending that comes to a very uh, clear, a very concise close. It's like uh, tying the ribbon on the gift. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm before an audience, I present this gift. Now, the gift has been very carefully crafted, very carefully practiced. Many hours have been spent uh, preparing that gift before it is delivered in a performance. Mm -hmm. Now, one other thing about the philosophy that I hold about storytelling is that storytelling is not just a vehicle for entertainment. Mm -hmm. Storytelling is not just for amusement. I choose stories of wisdom and truth because I want to connect with people. And my greatest joy as a storyteller is when someone who has heard my story comes to me and says, I connected with your story in this way. That's the most beautiful, beautiful part of storytelling. It's not just the telling, it is the receiving. Right. So Phyllis, what's, I think it's such an important point to distinguish between storytelling and anecdotes. And also, I think it's so important for people to understand that there's it's a craft and it's an art and there's a lot of time that goes into it and in the crafting of it and so i'm wondering maybe this is the heroine's journey part for you you were a professor in a college here in maine teaching and realizing that your teaching was better when you told it in a narrative with a story you talked about your fidgety adults and the fidgety children yeah. but then then you retired and what and now you're you are a storyteller that's your role how was that making that transition did you wake up one day and say well i'm gonna do this or did it come upon gradually how did you take on the cloak of the storyteller 
Well, I guess I um, I morphed. I morphed from an educator who told stories to a to a full time storyteller. I used to think of storytelling as my hobby. When I wasn't using storytelling as a teaching tool, I used to say it was my hobby. And I dabbled in it uh, after school. Like I attended a storytelling guild meetings and I went to storytelling conferences and things like that. And then when I retired, and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to continue to tell stories of wisdom and truth and not just tell them, but I want to share them. And by sharing that implies that when the story is done, I will look at you and make and invite you to make a connection with me through that story. Mm. Some of us talk about storytelling like this. It's like kissing. It takes two. <laughs> it only takes two. One teller and one listener. <laughs> so Phyllis, was that a difficult transition to put all of a sudden say, not all of a sudden, you morphed, but in this world where we have to advertise and market and get the word out and was that difficult for you i'm thinking of people listening who are thinking i might want to do that you know and here you have done it and you made that transition the morphing was it difficult or pretty natural for you it was pretty natural and um, remember when I retired, um, I retired with a, a modest social security income and a modest uh, pension. And so even if I'm a flop at telling stories and no one ever wants to hire me to tell stories, uh, that does not mean that I'm going to go without food or a home. And there are many, many uh, professional storytellers in our country and the world who are making their living by storytelling. And it is most important for them uh, to, to do all of the big advertising and marketing and getting their word out there. That's important for them. They need it. They have families to tend to. Mm. And my situation is different in that I don't need to do that. This is my um, my advocation, evocation, what's the word, Suzanne, evocation? Evocation, yes. 
advocation and it is one that brings me joy mm. you know we are we are called to find our bliss yes. and when we get to retirement we say wait a minute there's more years behind me than there are in front of me i better really be seeking that bliss so you, Phyllis. i agree that's how that's how i find my bliss this is my bliss right wow so and how wonderful that you're doing it and that you i know from personal experience you are not a flop and <laughs> I wonder, I know that you had a very large family growing up and, and I think you have talked about how growing up the way you did contributed to your storytelling expertise. Do you wanna say a bit about that? Oh yes, I love talking about my family. So I inherited the storytelling gene. I was born uh, to parents, both of whom were good storytellers. And uh, so I grew up hearing stories, lots and lots of stories. I am the seventh child in a family, uh, a farm family. There were uh, five children who were born in Caribou, Maine, uh, where my dad was a, a potato farmer. And then a span of uh, seven years, my sister Ruth came, then a span of three years and I came. So I am the proverbial runt of the litter. Some would and, say baby, not runt. <laughs> and I loved being part of this big family. They were all older and much wiser, and they all took care of their baby sister. So I loved my family. Well, I have many stories about my family. And in the book I just published, there's a section uh, about my family. And well, now, I'm not the baby's sister. I am the elder of my family. Mm -hmm. How did I get to be an elder? Right. Well, time went on and time went on. Most of my family is gone now. My parents and all of my siblings except one. Mm -hmm. And in my storytelling, I have discovered that telling the stories of them and our experiences together in our family is of comfort to me. It is of healing to me. So in my book, I put in um, uh, stories about my different family members uh, and I love those stories because they're comforting. Yeah, and I, I know that when people hear them, they also get comforted as well because they can relate to their own families. Maybe they're not Absolutely. with that many people in their family. And for people who 
um, don't know caribou, it's northern, northern Maine, where there are many, many potato fields. I wonder, I know that this is probably a longer story, but the story about your role, the important role that you played for your family as everyone was getting ready in the morning, is that something you could tell? Um, is that too long for us? Because I know I want you also to do the one that we planned for the end about Mary Ellen. Do you have, do we have time for the, you know which one I'm talking about? I do. And I know that's one of your favorite stories, Susanna. And, I, and I so enjoy that you enjoy it, that I would tell it a thousand times to you. Well, here. Here goes. Thank you. <laughs> My first memories of waking up in the morning are memories of hot cocoa and hot oatmeal. When I opened my eyes, I would jump out of bed and race toward the kitchen where everyone would be getting ready for school. Now, I was a preschooler. I didn't go to school. But every morning, my mother made hot cocoa and hot oatmeal. Oh, it was a busy, busy time in the morning. Everyone was getting ready. My sister Joyce always had to press her blouse. And my brother Vernon would tease her about how she had to look so good for Bobby today. And where was my brother Roger? Oh, yes, he was still in bed. Roger never got up until the very last minute. And then my mother had to help my sister Ruth do all of the buckles and the snaps and the fasteners. Well, I had a job. My job was to sit at the dining room table, look out the window, and when I saw the big yellow bus come up over Blackstone Hill, I would yell, Bus! Bus! <laughs> well, that scurrying in the kitchen became a cyclone. They knew the bus was just about there, and then they would rush out and get to the end of the driveway just as the bus pulled up. Then it was quiet. My mother would go, I would join her at the table. She would give me a dish of, of hot oatmeal and a cup of hot coffee. And she had a second cup of coffee for herself. And we would talk. It was my most special time of every day. Mm. 
Phyllis, I love that story. And I'm thinking, why do I love it so much? So one reason is I can, you tell it so I can picture. I can picture the kids rushing around in the hubbub. I picture you as a little toddler, or no, older than a toddler, young one at the window, eagerly wanting to do your job, looking for that bus, and then everyone rushing out and then sitting with your mom, it's, you paint a picture. And I think it also, it's appealing because of the simplicity of it. It's just a beautiful, simple scene that it just makes me feel good to listen to that story. And then of course, I love how well, and I know when you're in a big room, which is how I've heard it, you really yell, bust. <laughs> Yes, it, you know, a bit ago, I was talking about the uh, preparation of crafting a story. Now, those particular words, those particular mannerisms were not there when I first conceived the story, but I have molded and sculpted that story and every time I get to tell it, I, I'm telling it, uh, well, it's a joy to tell it to you because I know you enjoy it. And so I try to give it to you the very best way I can. Well, we've got the connection. I love it. <laughs> so Phyllis, let me just poke in this direction now because what I have learned talking to many heroines on the journey is that there are high points and low points, that they accept a call, they're following their bliss, which again, there are many calls that we get during our lives, which take us on a journey into a new adventure. And, and with those often, are difficulties and, and painful times, and they're hard to go through, but they mold us and shape us as people. They, they create more depth in us. And I wonder if there's anything that you'd wanna share that was maybe hard for you, but has in the long run made you a more, even more amazing person? Well, within the storytelling world, uh, there is a lot of competition. Mm. And um, when you think of any, any kind of a hobby, anything that uh, brings you that you do that brings you joy you you find all of the groups the local groups the regional groups the national groups that pursue this same love and it's nice to have all of those groups and be all together but on the other hand there can be some competitive edges too. For example, 
sometimes I find myself, and I know this happens with other storytellers too, because they've told me, um, I will find myself feeling jealous or envious if this storyteller gets to uh, have their story selected to be told at a certain big event or whatever. And so there is that natural competitive edge and the thinking of, uh, sometimes the thinking of what, I told my story better than he told his story. You know, and I think that happens in just every, every kind of field. Absolutely. But the thing that I have discovered for myself, and I've done some deep thinking about this, I have said to myself, Phyllis, who do you want to be as a storyteller? And what do you want your legacy to be as a storyteller? And my response is, I want other storytellers to remember me as a person who was not only shared stories of wisdom and truth, but was a story that encouraged them to do their very best as storytelling too. So how do I deal with this competitive edge? Every time I kind of find myself having a feeling of jealousy or envy, I say a little pr prayer. And my prayer is this, Lord, is this. Help me, God, not to feel jealousy. Help me, God, not to hold on to envy. Allow me to give a blessing instead. Mm. So when I feel that feeling, I dig deeper and I say, God, bless this person as they are chosen to tell this story at this event because their stories connect with people too. Mm. It's, not, it's not about me, it's about the art form. Mm. Phyllis, that's helpful to everybody in every career. Right. To you because, and I get there too, absolutely. And think about how many blogs and pod podcasts and videos people are putting out, all the posts on social media, and you could get so wound up into why is everybody else getting liked and I'm not getting liked. And But what you're saying is, help me turn the blessing on to them, help them be blessed in what they're putting out. They have a gift let their gift go out into the world as well as mine, yes? Yes, yes. It's all of our gifts. Hmm. When all of us giving our gifts mm -hmm. is what brings peace and bliss to the world. Wow. 
and thinking that realizing that I, as I realize that each of us with our own unique skills and abilities, talents aren't replicated. Where's just one of us in all the world that has this particular mix. And, and right. if we don't put it out there and not think about comparing and how does it look with next to this one, but just this is who we are and be that in the world. That's our requirement. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You've got it. I think you just gave us the secret. <laughs> well, I know that you have, I want to make sure that we have before I ask, oh, well, I want to make sure we've talked about all your secrets to being a good storyteller. And it's about being mindful and intentional. And that's what you've already shared with us is when you craft a story and you're giving it as a gift. And it's not just about you, it's about the listener. So it's about that connection. So I'm thinking, well, I've, I'm thinking we have to talk about how it's been for you an oral storyteller to make the decision to take those stories and put them into this amazing, wonderful book called My Storied Life. So how was that for you? Well, I couldn't have done it without you, for one thing, Susanna, you're part of that story. At the beginning of the pandemic, and, when, and I sheltered in place along with the rest of the world, I said, I don't want to clean out my closet. I don't want to uh, go through all of those stacks of papers that have been there for years. I don't want to clean the freezer. So what will I do? I said, I will write down all of the stories that I have composed over the years, real or imagined, and I will write them down. I had been making up stories and telling them for years and never wrote them down. So I gathered up all of the pieces of paper that had notes and, and ideas on them. And it took me about four months to write down all of those stories. And, and then I said to myself, there, if COVID gets me and I leave this world, my stories will stay. Well, I sent a copy to my sister and I sent a copy to my niece, one to my nephew and my friend Susanna <laughs> saw a copy and suggested it be published. And I thought, oh dear, you know, that's something I know nothing about. I don't even know that world. But Susanna has had very, excellent success with the book she had published through Emerald Blake Publishers. And she persuaded me to uh, submit the manuscript to that publisher. And they liked it and, and they worked with me. And they were so good because 
it's one thing to tell a story orally with people in front of you. If I see that you're not getting it, I can explain. But you can't do that with the book. The readers are not there with you. So the editor uh, was very, very good at helping me to understand that I need to anchor the stories with words uh, that would come alive in the reading, not just in a telling. So they worked with me and guided me and helped me understand this whole process. And then in November of 21, the, uh, the book was published. So I'm so grateful to you, Susanna, for kind of prodding me down that pathway. And I found the people I needed to help me. Thank you. Well, you are so welcome. I would say probably the word is more nagging than prodding. <laughs> A lot of nagging. <laughs> You've got to write these down. And right. And it's wonderful. And of course, you're still available to, and particularly now, even though there is still a pandemic, you can appear as a storyteller on Zoom. So you can be invited into people's um, organizations and still do the same work. But it's also that's Amazon. That's, that's true. Yes. I love. I love telling stories on Zoom, mm -hmm. and I found out all of my groupies on Zoom, like everybody else in the world has, but I really do prefer telling to live audiences. I love small audiences too. Even if two or, two or three people show up, I learned such a long time ago that it's not important to count noses, it's important to count opportunities. Wow. And every time I get to share a story, it is an opportunity to connect with another person. Yeah, right. And for anybody listening who's thinking, okay, and, and do you know off the top of your head how many stories are in here? Oh, there's like 60 to 70, something like that. Yeah. If anybody is um, thinking like I'm thinking, as Phyllis said to us, I never had written them down and my brain's going, then how did she ever remember all those stories to tell them if they weren't all written down? I'm sure you had notes, but you know, that's an amazing thing just to think of, to have that library in your head that you could bring out at any moment that's quite an accomplishment and so i'm going to ask you to take from the library one more time before i ask you to uh, share kind of what you'd like people to be left with at the end of this episode but you have a story and, and maybe this is such a perfect time to tell it because 
um, we're supposedly here in Maine going to have some crazy prediction of 10 to 20 inches of snow on Saturday. So we're going to have to be bundling up. And I think this story that I want so much for you to share is about bundling up in the winter. Could you share that story? Yes, and it's very relevant too because it's a pandemic story. And during the whole pandemic, I've been trying to find the, the stories of hope. I've been trying to find um, uh, the, the funny experiences too that have happened in the pandemic. So it was about this time last year uh, I was here in, in Brunswick, Maine. The temperature was below zero. And I really had to go to the grocery store and the, the pharmacy. So I bundled up. I put on my warmest flannel line jeans from L.L. Bean. I put on my heaviest socks. I put on my big furry boots. I put on my heavy woolen turtleneck sweater, uh, turtleneck, and then another sweater over that. I put on my heaviest coat. I tied myself up with a very warm scarf. I put my hat on my head. I put the hood of the coat over the hat. And the last thing I did was put on my N95 mask. I was ready. I drove myself to Hannaford. I got out of the car and started to walk briskly toward the entrance. And I heard someone say, Oh, hello, I'm so glad to see you. I stopped and turned and there was a lady in front of me equally bundled up. And she continued, I have thought of you so many times. I have thought of calling you, but I just didn't get around to doing it. You have been on my mind. And then she proceeded to tell me about herself, her husband, her grown children, and her grandchildren. And I'm standing there thinking, I, I know this, do I know, I, I don't know, do, do I know this person? And I listened carefully as she said the names of her children and grandchildren and where they were and what they were doing. And I was trying to pick up clues because I did not want to confess that I didn't know who she was. I did not want to insult her. And then she stopped and took a good look at me and said, you are not Mary Ellen, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. 
I was so relieved that it was okay that I didn't know her. And uh, so we we giggled and we laughed and and we talked to each other. I guess I made a new friend that day, didn't I? I love that story too. And it's, it's, it's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to so many people. And it's so true that you, you do try to pick up clues from what they say to try to place them. And right. in your case, that you failed dismally because you had never met her. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm sure that has happened. Oh, thousands and thousands of times. And as you say, particularly, nobody knows who's behind that mask. You have to tell by the eyes. And then if you're bundled up for the weather, forget it. Exactly. But anyways, oh my goodness. Well, so I'm holding back now. I'm thinking, oh, there's that story about your mother in the nursing home just getting ready to pinch the UPS drive, but no, I'm not going to go there because we have to bring this to an end, Phyllis. So wonderful talking with you. And I wonder if you could just offer up, what do you want to leave your listeners with? What's something from today, our talk together that you want to make sure people hear? Okay. Ah, uh, there are three things. The first two are projects, new projects I have, I'd like to tell you about. Okay. Number one is a program called Story Dance. It's a program I'm developing with my NIA fitness instructor. And how it works is this. I tell a story to children or to families and then Aaron uh, leads us in, in an, an interpretive dance of that story. So it's, it's a wonderful program and we hope we'll be able to uh, do it uh, with real kids and real families this year. And the other is a day long retreat that I had developed uh, pre-pandemic, and it's called What Is Your Story? S-T-O-R-Y, and that is an acronym. And uh, we spend the day focusing through stories and journaling and discuss discussion about um, your story and, and the story of your life. Mm. And here is the takeaway. I would like each one of your viewers, Susanna, to know, to know this for sure. You are a storied life. You matter. Your stories matter. Your stories matter because you see, you are the one that is the link between the past generation and the future generation. And if in that link, 
if you do not share the stories, then who will share them? How will they, how will the people of the future be able to connect with the stories of the past if you are not the one to pass them along? So please know this, you are a storied life and your stories do matter. Thank you. Thank you, Phyllis. Thank you so much for being with me today and sharing your wonderful stories and your wisdom. And I, I wish you all kinds of success as you go forward in doing your storytelling. And we'll have your website, which is blackstonestoryteller.com in our show notes um, so that people can Look at that because I know everything's going to be there, these things that you do, and, and that you also appreciate email. And your email is phyllis.blackstone at gmail.com. So right. just maybe people who want to work with you one on one to develop their own story. So yes. they can contact you. Yes. Hey, well, everybody, thank you for joining us today on our Real Life Heroines podcast. And I hope you'll stay tuned for the next one where we meet another heroine or occasionally a hero. And go out and live your story, everyone. And Phyllis again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Life Heroines with Susanna Liller. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. To find more about Susanna and how she can assist you in your heroine story, go to SusannaLiller.com forward slash blog or find us on social media and YouTube by searching Susanna Liller. You can also email us directly at Susanna at SusannaLiller.com. We'd love to hear from you. To be encouraged and inspired outside of the show and blog, check out You Are Heroine, a retelling of the hero's journey written by your host and coach, Susanna, available on Amazon. Until the next time, be well, heroine.